Yeah, I think the gray can be a really, a really hard spot, like you said. And I think that it's also really, really important that we make room for space. We make room for people to be able to question things. I mean, I think everyone has mental health and I really wish that we could talk about mental health or therapy in the same way that we talk about our physical health or getting a physical checkup. And there's a long way to go still with destigmatizing things. Welcome back to Let's Thrive, the podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, coming at you with an intro for a, if I must say, phenomenal episode today. This is a conversation I have been wanting to have for weeks, maybe two months. Uh, We had to reschedule a time or two because life, chaos, you know the drill, but we finally made it happen. It is with Amanda White. She's a therapist and just an overall amazing bubbly human being uh today's conversation we really chat about her own experience with mental emotional health and how that prompted her to really pursue the path and career to be a therapist and then the real highlight and something we haven't talked about too much on this podcast in general we go into her experience uh finding sobriety and essentially we talk about alcohol and the role it plays in our life especially the overlap between consuming alcohol when you've come from an eating disorder past and just the really taking a look at the mental and emotional side of why we drink and it's really interesting and this isn't a conversation to shame anything um, right like I, I drink and she's not saying you shouldn't drink but it's just to have a conversation an open one and explore these different avenues. And that of course led us just to discuss a bit more about those underlying currents when it does come to that topic. And we go into boundaries and communication. And the one bit I really love is we have this chat on conflict and how we can better communicate and approach these situations so that we're not having big blowups or ruining relationships or you know having breakdowns, whatever it is processing emotions like ah I just was smiling because you know throughout this entire episode just because I kept thinking damn like this is so true and I resonate so deeply and I really really hope others resonate and that it helps them as much as it's helping me as we were recording to think through things and get me thinking on more things so hopefully it does the same for you let us know if you listen Amanda is on Instagram at therapy for women I'll have it linked below as well as her practice. And I'm on there at the usual Emily Feichels. But besides that, I just wanted to get her episode intro out there because it's such a good episode and I really want you to listen. But I guess for some overall Emily chat here coming in, I don't really know when this episode is going live. That is TBD. But either way, it's either going to be before the holidays or after the holidays. And I think... Overall, whether before or after, I can say personally, there is so much pressure right now. I mean, I love the holidays, love the season, but the buildup to it and then the like week or so after it, just the pressure I've felt in the past in regards to diet culture and socialization and planning and just being packed calendar to the max 
is not fun. <laughs> and I've started to feel that a bit this year. Um, not so much with the eating disorder stuff. You know, I still have body image struggles and thankfully I'm in a place in my recovery where I still have old thoughts or old habits try to arise, but I'm able to work through them most of the time. So that's, you know, progress over perfection. I think the thing I'm struggling with most this year is just feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, overwhelmed is the word between trying to A, work and make a living, (laughs) B, pursue creative pursuits such as this podcast and Instagram, C, be a good friend, show up for those in my life I love, and socialize, Uh, D, would be just the pressure of like the holidays themselves, you know, so buying gifts and trying to be in the spirit, Uh, am I able to go home, should I go home, Uh, what am I doing for Christmas, what am I doing for New Year's, who's going to be home, like I don't know, there's just so much happening this time of year that I sometimes feel like my mind is going to explode and then other times I'm sitting on my couch sipping you know hot cocoa joking I can't I need to make hot cocoa I haven't had it in forever but theoretically I'm sitting on my couch chill as fuck Christmas tree lights are on movies on whatever it is and I'm just like life is so great life is so easy you know those are the small moments here and there but Overall, I'm just like, how can I have more of that vibe and less of the chaotic mind going a mile a minute, whether it's pre-Christmas, post-Christmas, New Year, blah, blah, blah. So much happening. So if you're in a similar boat, I feel for you. I'm here with you. And we could definitely connect and chat through those struggles on the gram. (laughs) Or if you're in Austin, hit me up. Like, let's connect. You know where I work if you listen enough. So you can find me there as well. But overall, I'm just doing, hopefully I haven't said overall too much. I feel like that's one of my most commonly used words. Anyways, I feel good right now in life. Um, Let's see, I'm recording this intro, beginning of December. So whenever this episode comes out, you can know that Emily in the beginning of December is feeling pretty good. I recently moved, life feels good. I've just been getting a bit lonely, which I always do around the holiday season. I don't know why. I've been overwhelmed, which I was just babbling about for three minutes before this. But I've also just been, I don't know, I feel very, what is it, introspective right now? Like I'm turning inward and doing a lot of like, having a lot of self-realizations and this is what I want to change. It kind of feels good, you know, because I feel like these are things... I was running from for most of 2021 and they're just now catching up to me in this last month, unfortunately. (laughs) But maybe that means that I'll finally find resolution or take them seriously, whatever it is, especially with 2022 approaching. Oh, which I can't even think about. Okay, let's end it there. There's so much happening and this conversation is already getting long. So (laughs) this one-sided conversation, I'm going to leave it at that. You let me know how you're feeling. You let me know if any of this resonates, whether my little solo spiel or the episode. And let's connect on the gram. But until then, listen up. Hope you enjoy. And I'll talk to you next week. Now let's dive in. Well, I guess to start off, would you mind giving a bit of an intro, a glimpse into this chapter of your life? I know things are always changing, so no need to like box yourself in or labels, but 
just to give people an idea of what's happening now. Where's your focus? And then we'll sort of dive into how you got here. Yeah, I love the phrasing of that question. Um, so I'm Amanda. I am a licensed therapist. Um, I am like a content creator on Instagram. My Instagram handle is therapy for women. And I just wrote a book that's coming out. And I'm also, um, I have a therapy practice that I own and manage. Um, I see clients myself. Um, so yeah, I have a lot of different things in the works, but all kind of under the umbrella of therapy. And it's been um, really fun to grow and see all of this kind of come to fruition. I love it. And with your therapy practice, is that in person or do you do like virtual therapy as well? So we do both. I have about 25 therapists that work for me. Um, so we have two locations in the Philadelphia area. And then we also have licensed therapists across the country. We're in, besides Pennsylvania, we're in um, 18 other states. Um, so a lot of the work we, obviously anybody that's out of state is all virtual and you can still have virtual options in Pennsylvania, but we also do have the two locations in person. That's amazing. So we try to offer a mix of both <laughs> with what works for people. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I anyone that's been following my journey knows I struggled for the longest time, A, to first accept that I actually needed and wanted to do therapy. And then B, to then find a therapist, um, especially as I was moving, I moved down here to Texas, but I was originally in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, just like trying to find a therapist. And even in these times that we're in, I ended up going the virtual route and um, I just never thought it would be for me, but I actually don't mind it. You know, I get to stay at home and I'm still doing the work, so to speak. So I, I love that you're able to provide that option for, for everyone. And I mean, anyone listening by the end of this, if they want to check it out, there's obviously options for more than just Pennsylvanians. So I love that. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing with virtual therapy, where I think personally, as someone also who's in therapy and as a therapist, I was skeptical of how I was going to feel. And, um, you know, there are pros and cons to both but it can be a really, really great resource. And according to literal studies, it's just as effective um, as in-person therapy if that person likes it and is comfortable with it. Yeah, no, I can, I can imagine. And I guess, you know, when it comes to therapy, we are talking about, I guess I should say this podcast and what I always sort of say it's about is 360 wellness, which for yeah. me, it was when I realized it's more than the physical and also includes mental, emotional, spiritual, like so many topics, right? And so therapy was really, for me, the entryway and such a pivotal piece to my mental and emotional wellness. And so yeah. I guess for you, as you know, someone who goes to therapy and as a therapist yourself, was there a moment or a period in your life that really just showed you the importance of mental and emotional well-being? Because I know for me, it was like this one year I can pin down to the year when I realized like, I need to work on this. <laughs> like yeah. I need to work on it now. So I'm just curious if there was that time for you as well. Yeah. So growing up, um, I struggled a lot with my mental health. Um, I had a pretty serious eating disorder growing up. So I always knew my parents always kind of put me in therapy once they found that out, cause they, you know, I, it was pretty obvious that I was struggling, but I really didn't like therapy. And I saw a ton of different therapists and I never really felt like I connected 
with them very much. Um, and that really kind of then once I graduated college and I found a therapist who I loved and connected with, I really started to see how amazing therapy was and how much I was changing in the process. And that is actually what inspired me to go to school and then become a therapist, which I, you know, it definitely wouldn't have happened if I didn't have that really positive experience. That's so neat. And I love it even in the light of thinking like so often and we're in the depths of those struggles, whether it's an eating disorder or um, mental health struggles or whatever it is, personal grief, et cetera, it can feel in the time, like, am I ever going to get out of this? What's yeah. life like after this? And I love, I'll have people on that are registered dietitians or nutritionists, yeah. or therapists. And then I have them explain how truly like they went through the thick of it and now here they are. And it's just such a like testament to you can get through those things. And then you can even be so well enough afterwards yeah. that you're able to help others in that situation. And I just can't imagine how just content, like, I don't know, just how happy that would, I would feel in that situation. You know what I mean? Like to be able to help those that what's what you were going through, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's really such incredible work to be able to do. I think it's, it's also important to normalize that, like, I think there isn't an end point. And I think I used to think once I made it to this point, my work would be over. I would be perfect. I would be happy all the time. I would never have struggles at all. So, um, I try really hard to also normalize that no matter how much progress you make, you're still a human. <laughs> like there's no cure for being a human being. It's hard. Um, so, but yeah, it's super gratifying that that's my favorite thing to do is really to work with eating disorder clients, addiction clients. Cause that's something that I specifically struggled with so much. Yeah. And I suppose on that note, I know part of your story does have to do with alcohol and sobriety. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about addictions, there is obviously you know, definite lines between each, but there are the overlaps. And I too had my own very, very long and intense struggles with an eating disorder. And I remember as I was approaching the age where I could like, my friends were starting to drink and everything. I had this like little inkling of self-awareness of I'm struggling with an eating disorder. I have a very addictive personality. Yeah. I don't know if I want to dabble in alcohol right now. Yeah. <laughs> I always think back. I'm like, I wonder what would have happened, you know, had that been the case, but I'm just curious, when did alcohol enter your story? And if you could yeah. sort of like give a bit of a con like discussion on that, it's something I haven't really been able to talk about too much on the episode, on the podcast with anyone. And I would just love to hear how things started and how they progressed and just sort of go from there, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think it isn't something that's talked about very much. And it's really ironic because it is one of the most common overlaps that happen in like studies and research I've done. Um, you know, the wide studies say that some of the statistics are like 45% of people that struggle with substance use also struggle with an eating disorder um, in some capacity. So it's very, very common, even more common in women when you think about, especially women struggle often when they get to college sometimes with all of the intensity and the pressure to drink combined with the pressure to not gain the, you know, quote unquote, freshman 15. 
it's just kind of like a perfect storm. Um, and that was definitely my story. I knew in college that I was struggling, or sorry, I knew in high school, I was struggling with an eating disorder. Um, I didn't drink too much in high school. I had a very similar inkling to you that maybe this wasn't something that was a great idea. Um, and I was kind of scared of it because I just like hadn't drank that much. And everyone was drinking in college when I went and it felt really exciting and great. When I first started drinking, um, I had a lot of social anxiety. So it felt like the first time I drank, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. You know, like this is confidence in a bottle. I can be fun. I can be outgoing. Um, so it was great when I first started drinking and, Unfortunately, when that just started mixing with my eating disorder and really like fear of gaining weight and then fear of the calories and alcohol, that was when things started to spiral for me. Then I started to struggle also with, I like um, had a very messy breakup and that was just kind of what pushed me over the edge where I would, um, I got really into Adderall as a, like, I thought that Adderall was amazing because it stopped me from being hungry. And then I thought that was the cure to being too hungry, I thought. And then I could, you know, drink more. And then when you start mixing alcohol and Adderall and not eating, um, I started putting myself in like really dangerous situations. And I ended up drinking way, way, way more than I wanted to or meant to and um, really struggled with relationships. Uh, friendships during college because I just like was escalating with my behaviors. Um, but the irony of like my alcohol compared to an eating disorder, I mean, I was bulimic growing up. So I knew like that wasn't okay. Like it was very clear to me that that was disordered. And I knew I probably shouldn't be taking Adderall, although I got a psychiatrist to diagnose me with ADHD. So I had a prescription for it but I kind of knew I probably was abusing that. But um, with alcohol, I just thought I was like everyone else. I was just like, everyone's drinking a ton. My friends and I all make fun of ourselves the next morning about what ridiculous things we did. So though I definitely like would try to cut back on my drinking because I would get too drunk, I didn't think I had a problem with alcohol until after college. Yeah, and I... I find this also interesting. And actually I thought that just came to mind in this last part when you were talking is when you were talking about your friends, right? In this almost community communal aspect of drinking culture. It's interesting to me how with an eating disorder, disordered eating, it is, I mean, in my eyes, a deep form of isolation. I mean, you are essentially isolating yourself from events and experiences and people and the world around you because you know you're eating in this way or you're doing xyz it it can just feel very isolating at times or looking back it was at least for me yeah and then like alcohol drinking something like that i similar to you i mean i i still haven't like you know drank too much i thankfully i'm like in a good place when i started drinking but i could easily see i was like this is like this feels like a community you know what i mean like mm. When you're engaging in these behaviors, it does feel almost like you're connecting with people more, or there's more to talk about, discuss, you know, like everybody's going out. So like now you're part of the going out group. Like it's, I can see why it's so enticing and 
something that once you get started could be really hard to leave, you know, step away from because it might feel like you're leaving behind those aspects. So when it kind of came to that point for you, did you struggle in that sense to like, to leave that part of it behind those times with your friends and the camaraderie and the connection and the, the just like, quote unquote, fitting in of everyone else is doing it. So am I. Absolutely. And I think you articulated it perfectly. Like, yes, having an eating disorder is really isolating. It's something you do by yourself. There's a lot of shame and like alcohol can get that way, but in the beginning, or at least when you're still like, when there's a huge social aspect of it, it does feel very good to be connected to all these people. And my biggest fear when I was questioning my relationship with alcohol was, um, am I not going to have friends? Am I going to be a loser? Am I going to be able to live life? I mean, when I got sober seven years ago, like social, I mean, Instagram was just like starting essentially, like there, what people weren't open about being sober. Um, I used to Google like sober celebrities and carry around a list in my wallet because I would try to think of them as like inspiration. Cause I didn't know a single person who I looked up to who didn't drink. I mean, when I first told my parents I was going to stop drinking, they were like, why there's nothing you're overreacting. There's nothing. You don't need to stop drinking. You need to, you know, you need to drink less, but you don't need to stop. Um, which I think just goes to show how weird our culture's relationship is with alcohol, like with nothing else. If you come to someone and you say like, I'm not sleeping or enough, or I'm not, you know, um, you know, I feel like I'm not eating enough or whatever it is, right? Like people don't tell you like, don't worry about it. You're overreacting, but they do that with alcohol because our norm is if you can have a really like you're either an alcoholic or you should be able to drink and there's no middle ground. So if you don't drink, you're admitting that there's something wrong with you and you have a problem. A hundred and ten percent. I mean, same thing with an eating disorder, same thing with mental health struggles. You're either depressed, maybe suicidal or not. You're either like anxious on medication or not. You're alcoholic or not. You're you know, needing treatment for an eating disorder or not. Like there's so much of the gray area. And to be honest, from my own experiences, and I'm curious to your own too, I feel like that gray time and the gray areas are sometimes the most difficult because Mm -hmm. people aren't taking you seriously. They're not like providing the support that you like actually know you need. And the world doesn't, you know what I mean? Like you're not at that point where the world can fully like see it. And so that's so interesting to me. And I can only imagine that would make it 10 times more difficult to just imagine like a time and a space. And I'm sure that still happens nowadays too, with people where, yeah, their friends or their loved ones or people in their life just don't see that they're in this gray area and they might not be a raging alcoholic, but they, they're, you know, trying to make change. They want to make change. And yeah, I mean, I can't imagine like, oh, I can't like, oh my God. And like, even social media, right? Like a lot of, we can shit on it. And yes, it does have its downsides, but like to not be able to connect and just see what's possible and the work Mm -hmm. that people are doing. I just, I can't imagine even in regards like my own recovery with like past stuff and mental health support, like it's, yeah, there's something about needing, like having that connection and seeing others going through it 
that can help so much. So I think kudos to you for doing that. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, um, the gray can be a really, a really hard spot, like you said. And I think that it's also really, really important that we make room for space. We make room for people to be able to question things. I mean, I think everyone has mental health and I really wish that we could talk about mental health or therapy in the same way that we talk about our physical health or getting a physical checkup. And there's a long way to go still with destigmatizing things. Oh, truly. And I mean, communication is just such an important part, yet scary and not always done enough, you know, and I, I know you had one post in particular. Um, I knew there was like something about, I was trying to think about it this morning and then I did find it, but it was five things to say when you're not drinking, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just like talking about that communication aspect, right. Of trying to remove that stigma of, you know, you're going out and you are choosing not to drink for one reason or another, like what to say. And the one part of it you said was to like, not make an excuse or mm-hmm. not make it into an excuse because people, people want to fix it or they want to solve it or such. And I found that so interesting and true because, you know, that is, that is the case. So often we try to communicate a thought or a feeling or something and people automatically want to fix it, right? Like it's in our nature, we want to help, but there has to be a better way of phrasing things to almost like shut that down, you know? And I know I've said before to people, like, I'm not, I've said it to my dad because he's a fixer. And I would just say, this is what I'm going through. I'm not asking you to find a solution. Because if you try to, I'm just going to get angry and upset because you don't yeah. understand, but I need you to listen to what I'm saying. And so I'd be curious, like, do you have anything in regards to that post about like on this topic of drinking, if somebody's going mm-hmm. out and they want to express, you know, this want and need of theirs, yeah, how can they do that? Like, how can they express it without having people jump in to try to solve the, oh yeah, you can drink. Here's why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like you said, I mean, I'm a really big believer in not giving an excuse just because it is amazing how much people will try to fix it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like common, right. This is kind of like boundary setting. So I think common things that you can do. The first thing I recommend is think about whether that person is close to you and whether you'll see them again, because if someone isn't close to you and you're not going to see them very often, it might not be worth it to have a conversation with them. Like I'm not drinking anymore. I'm exploring my relationship with alcohol, or maybe you don't drink at all telling them that because it's just, it might not be worth your time to kind of get into it. But if it's like someone really important in your life, if it's someone that you see often, um, It could save you time in the future if you're willing to kind of say, like, I'm not drinking, I'm trying to cut back, or, you know, I'd really, it would be really helpful for me if you didn't ask me about this, if you didn't ask me if you can give me a drink right now, I'm not drinking, or maybe saying I'm sober and I don't drink anymore, whatever that conversation is. So I think it depends on those two factors. Um, But I also think people can really complicate it and forget when they're setting a boundary that you can say the same thing. Like if someone, if someone asks me, you know, can I get you a drink? And you say, no, unfortunately, the first question almost everyone asks is why, which is really frustrating. Um, 
So being prepared for that why question, and you don't have to answer why, you know, you can say, I just don't feel like drinking, or you could say, I'm just not drinking right now, or I'm focusing on my health, or I just haven't, you know, I just don't feel like it. And if someone goes like, what, like, why aren't you in the mood? It's a holiday party or whatever. You can just be like, I just don't feel like it. You can say the same thing a few times. You can ask them not to bring it up to you. Um, And so, and I think that can be really helpful because you don't have to come up with like 10 different reasons why you don't have to answer the question five different ways. You can just rephrase what you said a few times and most people will get the hint. I like that. Yeah. I, I was thinking of like my own experiences with that where I, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't always like to drink when I do go out and it is, I mean, it's like, why? Oh, I have work in the morning. Oh, or like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to drive or oh, whatever it is. And they like, it, it just keeps going on. And before you know it, yep. you're like exhausted enough by the conversation that I'm practically ready to have a drink anyway, because yes. <laughs> they have just yeah. really exhausted me and have me questioning. Yeah. Why the fuck am I not drinking right now? So mm-hmm. I, oh, I love that. And like, I, it, it is a boundary. Like it truly is a boundary. And I know those myself, for others, like they can feel like intimidating or sometimes scary to set because so many people don't set boundaries, you know, yep. but you have to start somewhere. And I think those small conversational like boundaries that come up, it doesn't have to be a big wall. It can just be these moments, right? I think those are so important. And I mean, you can relate that to so many aspects of life, you know, whether it's something to do with work or relationships personal stuff, drinking, et cetera. Like, I think, yeah, those boundaries and just the way, the way you communicate can even just be the boundary that you need in those moments. Absolutely. And I think people can get intimidated by boundaries. They think it has to be a whole huge production. And sometimes boundaries can be small. They can be compassionate. I mean, I often, I try on Instagram to give different types of boundary phrases so that you can pick and people can make it work for them because sometimes we're going to need firmer boundaries and sometimes we might want more flexible boundaries. But I always try to recommend if someone does have good intentions in your life, if someone you do have a close relationship with and you want to preserve that relationship, it can be really helpful before you set a boundary to say something like, Hey, I know you're trying to help, or I know you're not trying to like make me feel uncomfortable, or I know that you have good intentions by asking this or whatever. So starting with that and then saying, and like, this doesn't work for me, or I feel uncomfortable when you ask me these questions, um, can be really, really helpful. And sometimes when I say that people on Instagram will be like, well, I don't owe that to someone. And yeah, maybe you don't, but at the end of the day, I think we have to think about what our intention is. And if our intention is to preserve that relationship, to be closer to someone, um, to make the relationship work, there are different ways we can phrase things so that people are more receptive to hearing our boundaries, which is the goal at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I love that because I have myself have felt, I don't know, just sometimes the messaging around boundaries or whatever it is, it does have it be that sort of like, you know, state your boundary. And if they don't respect it, you know, like that's yeah. on them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, 
No, like I, you know, I'm an empath. I have a big heart. Like I, and especially like if I'm setting these boundaries with somebody, it's because I, I want them in my life and I want to make yeah. this work. So if, like, I don't want to just have that mentality around it. I do want to find a way to, as you said, phrase it differently, uh, you know, just show them or whatever it is so that we can sort of make it work in whatever way, because yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's something I want to keep in my life for someone. So I, I love that like pursuit on it. And I think like on that note, it's as you were talking before about overall mental, emotional health and just the importance of it. I think, you know, boundaries are definitely an aspect of that. And so I'd love to sort of like shift into a bit more on that mental, emotional health side of things as a therapist, as someone who's gone through this yourself and as someone who goes to therapy yourself, what are just some of the like biggest, like are the tips or just the things that have helped you most in regards to working on your mental, emotional health? Like whether this was removing triggers from your life or shifting perspectives on X, Y, Z. I'm just curious, like top of mind, what have been some of the things that have helped you most, um, including therapy, I suppose, <laughs> in, in this journey for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think therapy for sure. <clears throat> I think also being really clear, finding a therapist that you like. I mean, um, literally when we look at studies of what makes therapy effective, the number one most important factor is whether you like your therapist. Because if you think about it, certain people can give you feedback and you accept it. And certain people can give you feedback and you do not take it. So if we want to be able to hear our therapist and accept their feedback, liking them, having a strong connection with them, respecting them, all of those things are really important. Um, Beyond therapy, I mean, boundaries, I think for sure, I think boundaries can be so helpful. And just like even beyond boundaries, I think just like communication, like so many of us did not grow up with healthy uh, conflict modeled to us. We don't even know what that is. We think of conflict and we think of fighting or yelling or the silent treatment or passive aggressiveness. And that's not healthy conflict. And so many of us can spend our lives just terrified of it, avoiding it. And that only makes it worse. So that was a huge thing for me. I struggled a lot with people pleasing and it's something I talk about uh, and work with people a lot on is being able to have that dialogue, being able to work on communication skills, uh, being able to trust yourself to work through conflict is really, really important. Um, And I also think learning how to process and work through your emotions. Again, so many of us don't ever learn how to do that. So, um, I used to growing up, I felt like I had a lot of emotions. I felt more upset than other people seemed to feel. And I used to beat myself up a lot and dismiss my emotions and being able to be compassionate to yourself, being able to learn how to sit with and process your emotions, um, is so helpful in working on your mental health. Oh, yes. Okay. So much here. I don't want to um def okay so to start with the conflict part I yeah 100% agree and I was having my own issues with this in the past few months where I don't even know if it was conflict but I was holding it in I wasn't communicating and letting it build up to that point where 
as a child would have led to, you know, a tantrum or a fight with your parents or a friendship breakup. What, you know, just like letting it build, probably not properly working or processing the emotions as well. Anyway, it would get to that point where it then did become essentially conflict because I was charged and the other person was probably charged. We just went at it. And so, you know, in one sense or another. So I think, you know, that is one of the beauties and pains of growing up is working to shift out of that and trying to find new ways to have these conversations. So I guess, for instance, like if I'm having an issue with somebody, are there like certain words or phrases or ways to go about it that you suggest? Like if I want to bring up a conversation with somebody, but not make it feel charged or like it's a big conflict. So I think one tip that I have is try to bring it up, not in a heated moment or not in a moment when, um, you are asking for something at the same time. Like so often people want to set boundaries and they want to wait until someone says something that bothers them. And it's way more charged if you do that in the moment, because someone's going to feel defensive over what they just said. Mm. So if you can bring it up when they haven't just said it, if you can bring it up before you're at that holiday party or whatever, and ask someone preemptively to not ask you something or not bring this up or whatever, that typically is going to be much smoother to do um, in general. I think also a lot of times it's not always possible, but um, like trying not to argue or have conflict resolution through text message or through email or whatever, you know, like trying to either talk to someone on the phone or video or in person or something. It's just so hard to understand and hear tone and, um, people can feel more defensive and they can misinterpret things and, um, read things as like more harsh with that. Um, I'm trying to think of another, another tip for that too. I think also is like some of the statements I said of recognizing that someone might have good intentions, recognizing that they aren't trying to hurt you. So saying something like if you're asking someone you're bringing up, for example, someone said something that you didn't like last time you hung out, um, asking them first, like, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about something that's been bothering me. Does this time work for you? Do you have the capacity to talk about it right now can be really helpful because sometimes we can catch someone like in the middle of work or they're driving or they're doing something and they aren't ready to hear the conversation and it doesn't go well too. Yeah. I think those are both. Yeah especially important because I know for me it's always been like the thought will come off of I should bring this up or we should discuss this but oh we're having like such a nice brunch right now and I don't want to ruin the mood and blah 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 but it's like those are the times though because I mean you know make sure they're also as you said in a space to receive it but it is like a good neutral time to bring it up and it, it probably does release that charged tension And then I feel like that second part as well. I know um, I had just something I wanted to talk about with a friend the other day and he kept trying to like inquire about like, I seemed off, you know, what's going Mm -hmm. on. And I just said at the one point, I was like, 
we can talk later, but like, I don't think right now is the right time to, you know, like bring this up because I know you're distracted with work and I don't want to like spring this on you. And I, you know, I think I need some more time to process it as well. So I think, yeah, like timing, you don't have to, you know, don't like extend it or never make it happen, but maybe be aware and mindful of timing, you know, both on your end and on their end, just to make sure it can be, you know, as peaceful or, you know, calm or uh, just, you know, safe place for both parties, like when it does happen. Yeah. Cause I think too, you know, conflict can be really hard if we don't trust that the, the friendship or the relationship will survive the conflict essentially. So then that can cause us to avoid conflict, sweep things under the rug And it kind of then can build where if you get to a place with someone in your life where you know that you guys can handle conflict, you know, you can both give and take feedback. It feels much less intense and like not as big of a deal than when you're just in the habit of knowing that you guys can give and receive feedback. So that's where that avoidance actually makes the anxiety around it worse. And it can be really helpful to kind of like People, I think sometimes will be like, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. I'll wait until something's a bigger deal. And it actually might be easier to start with just addressing a small thing so that you can practice working through that conflict together. I love that. Yeah, it's it's almost like building that habitual, uh, just, you know, like reassurance of, yeah, like you're able to start smaller, you know, more consistently versus like leading to the buildup. And I- yeah. I talk about this all the time on the podcast. They, anyone that listens regularly knows I am a anxious avoidance, conflict avoiding a hundred percent. And it has screwed me over so many times, nearly like ruining friendships, ruining work opportunities. And I am slowly, slowly learning to <laughs> start to diffuse a situation in smaller quantities before reaching that point. So I'm, I'm happy we got to talk on that. And I think part of it is, and I'd love to dive into this just for the last bit here, um, that emotional processing aspect of it. And Mm -hmm. I think this conversation is a prime example of, you know, you look at aspects such as eating disorders or uh, going to alcohol, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, I think they all have the roots of we are avoiding or just not properly working, processing through emotions. And I think a lot of us haven't even been taught to do that. We don't know how to even like get in touch with them. It's, it's something that does require some work. And so um, I guess, are there just any tips, you know, in regards to how can we process or work through them? You know, I know journaling's a big one and I think a lot of people do that, but I'm just curious if you have any other like notes, tips, tricks to help somebody even get started in that way. My first thing is actually so often people don't realize this, but they are judging the heck out of their emotions. Mm. Like, and people will just spend so much time trying to figure out why am I feeling this? What's wrong with me? You know, um, why, you know, why is this coming up for me again and again? What's wrong with me? All of that stuff. And all of that is really judgment of an emotion. It's not actually processing or sitting with an emotion or getting curious about the emotion. You're just judging it and wanting it to go away. So one of my biggest tips is to have people start to get curious and recognize when they're judging their emotions. 
because often our response when we feel sad or angry or whatever, isn't to get curious about like, oh, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. I want I, I wonder what I can do to take care of myself. Instead, it's like, what's wrong with me? What's going on? I shouldn't feel this way. I should be grateful. Da, 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 da. And we like shame ourselves. And then that keeps us really stuck because we're not actually processing our emotions or working through it. We're just judging them. I, yeah. I'm yeah just thinking of the last week (laughs) myself and how I've just been doing that exact thing and I'm trying to get better about it but I yeah I mean shaming our thoughts our emotions like the experiences we go through is like almost the default and I don't know I know for me when that does happen besides just shaming them I then also am like completely avoiding them and trying to just put on this like different face and different version of me because I'm you know just essentially not accepting that that's what I'm feeling or I don't know so I yeah yeah that's interesting and I think even like bringing up the awareness about are we shaming our thoughts ourselves our emotions I think that can be really important as well because I mean I'm, I'm getting better at it and there'll be times where I'm like okay like yes, you feel X, Y, Z, but that's okay. You know, blah, blah, blah. But it's so easy to just automatically like fall into the shame, shame spiral with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we can't do the next part, like you said of, right. If we're in that place of judging our emotions, avoiding them, not wanting to feel that way, we can't get into any of the coping skills or things that will help us work through our emotions whether that's journaling, whether that's going for a walk, whether that's um, just taking physical care of ourselves. You know, a lot of times our emotions have a physical component. We feel physical sensations. So treating yourself really kindly when you're feeling sad or angry or whatever can be really, really helpful. And it's not something that you're not going to be able to think about how you can take care of yourself if you're just beating yourself up and avoiding and ignoring the fact that you're feeling an emotion. Yeah, that that is true as well. I suppose like even the, yeah, like tuning into what your body needs or what you need, you're essentially, yeah, it's just like a big block. Like everything's going to be blocked in that sense then. So dang, that is true. Well, I love just like, even in aspects like this, you know, I don't want people to feel overwhelmed or like they have to do 101 things, but I think we could kind of say with everything we've discussed today, a big aspect of it is awareness. And hopefully Mm -hmm. this conversation is, you know, introducing these topics into somebody's life or getting them thinking or um, really affirming something they've already been thinking on or, you know, pursuing. So hopefully it just overall brings up that little level of awareness in everyone. And yeah, I mean, these are things that you can think about more and they can, learn more about them all the time from your page. Uh, and then also in regards to our talk on alcohol and everything with that, you do have your book coming out. Yeah. So if you want to give just a little, you know, shout out to where they can find your work for everything we discussed today, and then your book in particular as well, I would just love for people to be able to find, you know, just continue daily support with the amazing, yeah. amazing content that you're always creating. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So my book is called not drinking tonight. It's available for pre-order everywhere books are sold and, um, it comes out January 4th. 
Um, what's really great about the book too, is I go into really heavy detail about all of this stuff. So while yes, it's geared towards someone who wants to question their relationship with alcohol, um, I'm not telling everyone they need to stop drinking. And I would say two thirds of the book is not actually specifically related to alcohol. It's talking about all this undercurrent stuff. Like I have a whole chapter on boundaries, emotional health, self-care, shame, trauma, all of these underpinning things that I think pretty much anyone can relate to. Um, and then, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at therapy for women. Um, and my uh, therapy practice is therapyforwomencenter.com. I love that. And that's neat about the book too. And I wanted to preface this episode with that as well, that this is not Obviously we're talking, don't shame your emotions. Don't shame your thoughts. You're not shaming anything here. This is just an exploratory conversation. So I love that there's a book um, that's just, I don't know. I know for me, I've like, you know, looked at a few books that are like sober curious or whatever it is. I never want to like introduce any more type of like shame or you should do this into my life. So I've been wary of like a few different avenues, but it's great to know that there is a book that is exploratory on not only, you know, alcohol, but the role it plays in our life. And as you said, the underlying things that so often lead us to these situations. So yay, I'm excited. That'll be amazing to come out. So thank you so, so much for your time today and can't wait for everyone to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Emily.